0: Before we dive in to this episode, I have to tell you what is up on Patreon because I have made so many changes. I put so much into it this summer and there's so much to be had over on Patreon. So first off, you can become a member for just $5 a month or we also have a pay what you can option at $1 a month because, you know, stuff is crazy out there, you guys. I get it. And here's what you get when you sign up on Patreon. One bonus episode every month, an extra episode of a book that is only for Patreon subscribers. We have also started running ads on this podcast. I held out for a long time, but finally I caved. And now that we have ads, if you don't want ads anymore, all the episodes on Patreon will go to your podcast feed without ads. If you just sign up for Patreon. So all episodes from here going forward, ad-free. We also have access to something called a lounge. They gave us early exclusive access. It's been awesome so basically become a member of the patreon we have a cookies only chat where all cookies can talk to each other it's like a real digital book club where you can talk about books the episodes we talked about the barbie movie like so much conversation is going on there that is where all my focus is going as well that is where all the conversation is happening you also get oh my god there's more you also get an email of photos that go with the episode and you get emailed that every time an episode comes up. So everything we talked about in the episode, a photo of it will be sent to you as well as the reading list for the month if you want to read along. If you love this podcast, if you want to support this podcast, join the Patreon. It's so much fun. There's so much fun to be had over there. And also, we are fully independent. We run fully by your patreon support so consider supporting us over there for just five dollars a month um, and a pay what you can option at one dollar and it's linked in the show notes it is www.patreon.com slash chelsea Devantes. if you just want to type it in uh, it takes two seconds we send you a podcast feed you get all of the bonus ad free stuff so easy and um, i'll see you over there in the lounge if you join the patreon take a sip. privacy on the door. I'm gonna make the shit hello and welcome to the third episode of glamorous trash talk I'm your host Chelsea DeVantes. I am a writer comedian filmmaker and sometimes I'm in stuff too and glamorous trash talk is where I take a tangent and put out an episode that is different from our normal celebrity book club episode fair. And instead I discuss something that I also consider glamorous trash. On the first one, we discussed The Bachelor in American politics. On the second one, I discussed Love is Blind and the concept of the mean girl. And this episode is going to be a totally different format than those I am calling this episode My Glamorous Trash Menagerie of Men's moirs. We're going to cover a bunch of books today with a very special guest. First, we're going to revisit Minka Kelly, Paris Hilton, and Pamela Anderson and go even deeper than we did in our original episodes. Then we're going to discuss the men's of Don Simpson, Quentin Tarantino, Matthew Perry, Kevin Pollock, and Paul Newman. Finally, we're going to end discussing a book called Monster that's about Hollywood. It is by John Gregory Dunn, who is Joan Didion's husband, and Joan is all over the book. That is our glamorous trash menagerie. If you are looking for a normal episode where we break down an entire female celebrity memoir, just click a different episode. I believe we just covered Kris Jenner. There's another one coming out soon. And, uh, This is Glamour Trash Talk. Let's begin. Let's welcome our guest. I'm going to dub him. This is the official uh, knighting ceremony. I picture a sword in my hand. He is our official mensmore correspondent. He is on the front lines. His reading habits are so impressive. They rival, and dare I say, best my own. This is our first time doing this, but I already know I'm going to beg him to come back. He is one of my favorite people in the world to talk to. I still have so much more in your intro, Paul. You guys, it's Paul Shear, but hold on. I have more to say. Okay.
1: <laughs> ah, no, no, no more to say. I'm honored. I'm a cookie. I'm a cookie and you, I'm honored to be here. I
0: am so, so thrilled. Okay. I have to do a Two quick shout outs. So first off, Paul was our guest for the Rob Lowe and Melissa Gilbert episode. And I recently got a message from a cookie saying that's their favorite episode of all time. And it's the episode they send to all their friends as a gateway, a gateway episode. Yeah. So if you guys want to hear Paul talk about that, you haven't before. I recommend it. I also want to talk. I mean, you have so many credits. Uh, You've funny. So if you're in LA and Paul is ever doing his dinosaur improv show at the Largo, it is the best improv show. I've, I laugh so fucking hard, even though I'm on stage. And Paul is also writing a memoir. So this is, this is what we're bringing to the podcast. This today.
1: is a lot. It's a lot. And I, I do take this, I take this knighting very seriously to be uh, a mensmar <laughs> uh, consultant. Because look, I will admit, and uh, we could talk about this openly, I hope, but I did steer you down the wrong path originally because I had read one like true tell-all and it was a little, it was a little too dark. And I, and I felt like I couldn't recover from that, but we did, we were able to recover. We found our common ground.
0: I was looking for the name of that book. I was trying what, all I remembered it as was like cocaine, dude.
1: Yes. So Don Simpson, who actually will, Don play, a Simpson. Little bit, will play a little bit of a part in, in a book that we'll be talking about today. Um, this book, it's, I believe it's called like my life in excess, but it really is it's the producer of uh Flashdance and Top Gun and Days of Thunder and Beverly Hills Cop 2 like the person who made that not uh Jerry Bruckheimer but his partner who died of a cocaine overdose it's his life and it's everything that you would possibly imagine a person who made those movies at that time would live a life of in Hollywood i mean it's it's a yeah. it is a it's a tough it's a tough one cuz you're like it is upsetting. And I and I remember like reading it to June and she's like, stop reading this to me. But <laughs> I felt like I needed to talk to someone about it.
0: I know. And I wanted to be that person so bad. And then I ordered the book and I think a paragraph in,
1: I was like, I can't do this. It's a rough book. But, you know, one of the things about him, uh, besides getting penile implants, which the description of that is so funny to me because it's just not working and his pain in getting that. Any man who gets a penile implant deserves the amount of pain that he was going through in the way that they discussed that sequence. But, well, this this gentleman, um, you know, frequented sex workers, a lot of sex workers, and was a good friend of uh, Heidi Fleiss and business partner, I should say. I don't know how to describe it, but they worked together. Uh, and so there's a lot of paid sex work in that book that is discussed in in some detail that is like, woof, you know, it's a, he was a a troubled man.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, we love it. That was our intro. And then we made our way to a lot of other books. So before yes. we get into the memoirs, you and I read a lot of the same books and you yes. read a lot of memoirs that we covered. So I, I just want to hear your thoughts because here's my connection. You were mentioning Heidi Fleiss. Yes. Well, Heidi Fleiss, famed madam, her, Dad, which we really need to think about this connection. Her dad is a gynecologist. Well, no,
1: her dad is a pediatrician who I met when I had my first son (laughs) to interview for pediatrician. He was down the block. I live here in Los Feliz, and there is this cute little wooden house. It looks like something out of a Tinker Toy box, and it always was like, "What is that place?" It was a pediatric office, and we went in there. And that was Heidi Fleiss's dad. He uh, was lovely. He was very old. Um, but it was so interesting that, that was her dad was a— Did he
0: a, bring it up in the meeting? Was he like, no. Heidi Fleiss is my daughter?
1: Well, you know, what we did was we Googled him afterwards. You know, he doesn't make any bones about it. It's Dr. Fleiss. And not that that's an uncommon name, but— Wow. Yeah, so, I, yeah. Well, listen,
0: <laughs> I only know it because Pamela Anderson was like, we went to, proudly, we went to our doctor, yes. Mr. Fleiss, Heidi Fleiss's dad. I'm like, I love that you took time in your book to tell us this.
1: And he seems to be very proud of his daughter. We, we read a lot of articles where he he did speak very highly of her and, and was very supportive of her, which I actually found to be pretty amazing too, because that Don Simpson book mm-hmm. does speak very highly of Heidi Fleiss. I mean, look, there's a lot, a lot to unpack. A lot.
0: Okay. Yes. So just- I'm going to just ask you, take you through, let's talk about Pam, Minka, and Paris. Yes. I just kind of want overall thoughts. So you read Pamela Anderson's book. This is a trilogy of
1: books that really messed me up, kept me riveted. And at the same time, I left each one of them. And now looking back at all three going like, I have a lot in common with Pam, Minka, and Paris. And that is something i didn't know before i started reading yes. them um yes. I, I i mean it's it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing i i think they all share something really interesting i mean honestly if i've learned anything in the last couple of years more and more it's like you know what the media can do to women and especially pretty women like they kind of eat them up and spit them out and 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 manipulate them so i feel like each one of these is really interesting cuz it's like well this is if I'm telling you my story, this is what you are going to get. And there are going to be these like moments that are really kind of glossed over. And then there are going to be some other moments that are brutally real. I-, I think that Paris's book, by far, is probably the most riveting. I think that Pam Anderson's book is the most interestingly written, because I feel like it, the her voice and her writing voice, it's like this lyrical poetry, and it was... You know, and I almost felt kind like... Kind of floaty. So in a weird way, like, I just enjoyed spending time with Pamela Anderson, and if that means anything, like, and reading her book. But Paris, you know, Paris is like Britney Spears to me in the sense that, oh, we got this wrong.
0: You really do feel how smart she is until she starts being like, so Business 101, what makes you the right person for this? And you're like, oh, God, no, this then, cannot be your best advice. And there's,
1: like, an, a, a chapter where she's like, I just love sitting with my... Husband, and we'll talk about you know relegated short loans and yeah I'm yeah like, okay.
0: digital and the fuck the black yeah. market and the crypto bay. You're like
1: no no thank okay. you. Okay, uh, like, that just felt weird. And then I also will say that like she wasn't going to hit into like the heavy accountability. I'm like, well, I get however you acted. It was after that school, and I understand where you were at. But it also seemed like, but I never drank, and I never did this, and I never did that. And it's like
0: I don't know. Yeah, she was not. I think. She skirted accountability. Yes. Definitely with, um, she said a lot of racist remarks that she, you know, she floated yes. over. She acknowledged and she talked about why it happened, but she wasn't like, there was no real accountability. I thought the Trump one that she did was the best where she said, yes. you know, so they asked me who I voted for and I said him because I like- grew up with him and I thought that'd be the right thing to say. And the truth is worse. I didn't vote at all. It's like that you can feel how real that is. A hundred percent. But that's also easier to write in hindsight, as we all collectively hate Trump now. It's a easier thing to put down. And I think,
1: and I think that she is smart. I think that she's smart about being a celebrity. And I also can't help, but think about Tina Fey going on Howard Stern and basically saying, oh, the worst person we ever had on the show was Paris Hilton.
0: Paris is very shy, which is weird yeah. to say about someone who's constantly in front of the camera. But like her best interviews, I think, are with Drew Barrymore because Drew Barrymore yes. has had that that traumatic past that can open it up in others. And, and yet Paris is still so shy. She's not a woman of a ton of words. So I can imagine that being bad on SNL. And I, I also have to say, like, I remember watching one of those MTV award shows where one of the jokes was to go into the audience and offer Misha Barton a sandwich.
1: Oh, it, gosh. You know, yeah. Like, yeah.
0: Oh, I have a sandwich. Those it like the context of that time was like so many jokes about yeah. women, pretty women, especially and, and like hating them.
1: No, I think what it was, was you know we culturally we go through these changes and i think when i was growing up you know there were like acceptable targets to make fun of right and we all Absolutely. were like this is acceptable and it was cruel but we all agreed or not we all but there was a, a culture a, a culture yeah and i think that that's something that's really interesting because then if you merge those two books together, I think you pull out the Minka Kelly book like in a weird way. And
0: Okay, tell me, tell me.
1: The Minka Kelly book is interesting to me. It, yeah. I will say this, which is my fear always in writing my book, and I'm sure you've had this fear as well. Or maybe you haven't. Is this therapy? Am I doing therapy here? And I and I want to walk that line of understanding like what am I doing? Like why am I doing this? Who is this for? Is this going to be entertaining? And I think that obviously tragedy is always going to be entertaining. I think that there's always going to be something that's like, oh my God, her mom was a stripper and she was dancing and she almost drowned and this guy was rough with her and blah, blah, blah. But there was something about that book that felt very much like what she says at the end. All my friends who told me I should be writing this book. I should be writing this book. It feels like she's still in like the throes of it. I feel like I want to like block my eyes from it a little bit. I'm like, oh, I don't know if like this is fully ready to be fully out there. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I mean, two things to that is that like, she describes this horrible, horrible therapist. She goes to when her mom is dying, which is not that long ago. Yeah. Then she ends the book being like, don't worry. I have a way better therapist. And then describes a horrible therapist. So I don't think like another reason it's not baked is like, I don't, Like I can't like, I can only judge your therapist like through the book, but like not great. And I don't know if you felt this in writing your book. I have really fucking felt this, which is that. And my, my therapist said it really wonderfully. She was like, you know, when we first met, we talked about one of the modalities to healing is doing a trauma narrative, which is where you bring in your story piece by piece. And like, often if you've had a lot of hard stuff happen, it's maybe it's a little scrambled, a little blurry, and you kind of interrogate that until you can sort of like put your story together for yourself. And when that happened, I was like, no, I don't want that. You know, no way cut to a million years later. She's like, you're doing it in the book. And so as I write the book, I talk to her. As I write the book, I talk to her because it it weirdly is therapy. That being said, books are for other people. Yes. <laughs> so if I can't make this entertaining, like it can't go in the book
1: for me. Well, and I think that I've walked this line of things that I've like pulled from my book. And when I go through again, as we get into more heavy editing, uh, that I worry about is I don't ever want to make a judgment on someone else. I want to talk about my experience and what I experienced through it. And I think that overall, my book tentatively is titled like Joyful Recollections of Trauma. I do have a positive outlook on what I went through. And I think that there yeah. is, you know, and, there, and that's two parts of it. Like part of like Minka Kelly's book is like, she's just telling you her trauma. And I feel like, oh, I see a red flag when you go like this acting teacher who broke you down em- emotionally, I'm going to say emotionally abused, but uh, whatever. Maybe I'm being too harsh there. Like made you embarrassed in front of class, made you cry in front of class. You're like, oh, I need to be with her. I need to take every one of her classes. I'm going to stand by her side. I'm going to sit by her. I need to know what she's about. I'm like, well, you're just, that's abuse. Like that's the same thing. Like you are yeah, attracting yourself it, to someone who is.
0: Who, who totally, yes, Yeah, I completely agree. But also is like. I feel like this is acting teachers for so many people. Yes. It's the first person who puts you in touch with your own emotions. And then yes. that is so addictive.
1: <laughs> yes, a 100%. Well, and I think what I try to do in my book in, is I don't bring my therapy into the book. Like, I'm going to tell you my stories. I have a point of view on it that I think is informed by my therapy. But it's not like, and then my therapy, I hated even writing. I wrote one chapter about... um just kind of finding out that I had like ADHD and I'm like, Oh, I hate fucking writing about therapy here, but it played a part in this discovery of it. And I, and that's what I think I walk away from is like, I don't need to work it out in the book. I feel like what I'm trying to do is come to it and go like, this is where I'm at. This is what I've learned. And, you know, and I think that there are some chapters that are a little bit more earnest, uh, but those chapters that are more earnest, I've found are the happier chapters instead of the, darker chapters. So sometimes I'm like, I hope this is enough, but I'm like, yeah.
0: I I also like, we, I, the writing in her book is tough, not her story. The actual writing is like really tough in that way. And like, sometimes it's like, we're going to be poetic for a second. Another time it's just like pages of just, just the details, no emotions, no whatever. And then the arc of the book is like, you're going on this Big, beautiful journey with her. And then you're like, in a Harvey Weinstein story. Yes. And then you're kind of like dropped off at the end, feeling like terrible for her. Like where you're like, wait, where did this book
1: end? Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's any real conclusion. I mean, the, well, if I was to really break it down, it'd be like, I'm the daughter of a stripper who then learned to accept myself by becoming a, or I should say dancer, a dancer, right? Because like that's the end. It's like, oh, and then when I finally put on those high heels and I finally work the pole in this class... I am now finally free.
0: Oh, God, if that's it, I got to go back and rerecord the episode. I totally didn't put that to get, I mean, I knew she'd take the pole dancing class, but I was like, what?
1: Oh, because that, that was to me the end. It was like the first time I've ever connected with myself and the uncomfortability of myself was getting up on that pole.
0: Yeah. Also, you know, my guest pointed this out, but she was like, there's something in there where Minka is, is somewhat attempting the journey of like, because my mom was a stripper, I've been uncomfortable with my own beauty and my inheritance yes. and how to work that. The whole middle of the book is none of that. You yes. would know what that is. You, that's not there. And at the end, she's like, my therapist says I should wear thigh high boots. Yeah. So, cause I'm afraid to be a stripper's daughter and I'm going to go take a pole dancing class. And you're like, but we didn't, is, has this been an issue for you? Like I'm not on this ride.
1: I feel like she's actually doing a lot of work on herself, but I, I, I felt yeah. at the end, The same way, where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about leaving you here. Where Pam Anderson and Paris Hilton, I felt like we've landed, and whether or not that journey was sanded down or whatever, like they are okay, and I and I felt a little bit more protective of Minka Kelly. I actually Mm, grew to, I I feel connected to her, but I also felt it was too raw. Mm. I don't know if that's you know, yeah,
0: no, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's totally, totally fair take. Okay, so. Let's dive into some yes. memoirs. There's a bunch. So I'm, I'm just going to take you through a bunch of them, and then we're going to talk about monsters. So yes. first first one on the docket, Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation, written in 2022. It is somewhat, it's like a tiny bit memoir, most like cinema speculation. I yes. wanted the cinema well, knowledge. Right. So I- picked this book up. However, I have to say up front, Quentin Tarantino has been a punchline in my stand-up because not because of who he is per se, but because of the men I've dated who've ruined him for me. (laughs) (laughs) The improvisers I've been around who ruined Quentin Tarantino for me, that it's hard for me to open this book.
1: So this is an interesting book because we talked about this too. I listened to it um, on tape, right? And the interesting thing about this book is when you listen to it on tape uh, or tape, tape I know. I like, uh, yeah sorry nice. yeah sorry i listened to it on lp uh but um <laughs> the first and last chapters are read by quentin the middle chapters are not read by him and so weird yeah. he's like
0: i'll do the first and last yeah
1: and i think the first like so what he kind of does is bookends this book and we were joking around about this because he's also known for doing um this very Let's just say, questionable version of a, a black person's voice. Uh, you know, no,
0: he does it. He does it in the reading.
1: He does it in the reading. No.
0: Oh, what? yeah.
1: So that, like, it,
0: yeah. as like as the whole time. No, no, or no. Just... As
1: as he's telling the stories about these men that have informed Great, his life, like awesome, he speaks nice. in their voice. <laughs> now, by the way, God, are I, you kidding me? No. Um. Yeah. Now I will say with Quentin's book, I told you maybe if you feel. Like you just want to get the film knowledge. I think that the 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 sections about like Dirty Harry, all these other things. It's like taking a film class from Quentin Tarantino, and I found yeah. that to be, I, I liked it all actually. I liked his stories of, you know, again, his trauma, being you know his mom and what that was, and going on these dates and how to be quiet in a movie theater because if he like if he spoke up or if he acted surprised, like he wouldn't be allowed to go see these R-rated movies. And we see like how this imprinted on him, these types of movies, these these men in his life that came and went. Um, So I thought that was an interesting book, but I also felt like it was like like a, a brush stroke. And I'm like, oh, I really want to get more of this. And then we got the meat of just The meat of the book is just film essays, and they're great film essays. I thought they're really great film essays.
0: And I was, I did want the film essays, and so I was like, okay, listen, this man (laughs) has— I just—I don't know how I can be about this man. However, this is what I'm going to read. I made it to page 26, and I read this. Along with Paul Newman, Warren Beatty, Steve McQueen was the biggest of the younger male movie stars of the 60s. The UK had its share of exciting young leading men like Michael Caine, Sean Connery, Albert Finney, and Tara Stamp. But of the young, sexy guys in America that were also genuine movie stars, it was McQueen, Newman, and Beatty. On the next level down, it was James Garner, George Peppard, and James Colburn. But for the most part, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then he gets down to the next level down, leading men, Robert Redford, George Seagal. Uh, and and he, he keeps going, right? And I was like, let I just want to know if he ever does this for women, I just, I just want to know. And I skimmed through and I couldn't find it. And then I was like, you know, I don't think I want to look through his lens at films.
1: Well, I think if it helps and I...
0: Yes, tell me, because I didn't make it through the rest of the book.
1: Um, I think what he is talking about in this book exclusively is a certain genre of film with male leads. Um yes. And it's Dirty Harry and it's Bullet and it's this movie Rolling Thunder. Um and Taxi Driver takes a really solid section. And these are all movies that he grew up on that I think, in many respects, inform the characters and world that he also creates, too, with the exception of Jackie Absolutely. Brown. You know, with Jackie Brown, it's not even a Quentin Tarantino piece. It's an Elmore Leonard piece that is through the eyes of Tarantino, which you could argue might be the best Tarantino because it's kind of a mix and match of... Two different styles, anyway. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, You know, I am a fan, but but yes, this is one type of like he's not giving you a history of seventies film. He's giving yes. you an, a history of like reve- male revenge films, and they're like the bullet chapter. I think is fantastic because it's like I learned so much about Steve McQueen. I'm not a Steve McQueen fan, and like how Steve McQueen like didn't speak. And when you watch the trailer for Bullet, he doesn't speak. And like he basically so like just would always cut out his lines. It's so funny, and it's like, so there are a lot of things I didn't know. I'm not like that's not my that's not my bread and butter cinema. Like, no, no, yeah. no,
0: and and I'm not saying is I think I think for me I was more like, and this is not this is not something uh, specific to him. It's like in a lot of male memoirs where a lot of those mov- movies have always been male leaning. That's yeah. just what it is. Like that's not a Quentin thing, but then. That really informed him, which then informs his perspective. And I was like, you know what? This just isn't a perspective I need to walk in. I've taken a lot of film classes. Like, yes. I don't think I want to walk this.
1: Like, he definitely does talk. But he does talk a lot about 70s film and the 70s directors. And when you look at the AFI Top 100 list, I did this. I have this podcast called Unspooled. And we watched the AFI Top 100 films, me and Amy uh, Nicholson, who's a New York Times film critic. And we, we broke it all down. And what you find is like, oh, that AFI Top 100 list is made by men of the 70s, white men of the 70s. It's why Mm -hmm. there's only one black director on that list. There's no female directors on that list. You know, there's like five, uh, you know, Vietnam movies on that list. There's like a bunch of Westerns. There's no differing point of view. And I think that, you know, he's basically saying, this is what I was exposed to. This is the world that I was brought into. This is what I was. Absolutely. What I do think is really funny, and I wish I had the the thing in front of me, but I, I think it's maybe even better paraphrased. He, you know, he talks about this one man who played such a large part in his life, really brought him to cinema, really showed him black cinema and, you know, and, and, and brought him to those movie houses and, and got him on board with that. Um, and you get a lot of, if you're listening to it, you get a lot of uh, different voices there. Uh, but, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but at one point he goes, you know, this, this guy, he was always working on a script. He was always working on a script. And you, you're you're seeing this guy as like his father figure. And there's this moment where he gets to, he's like, and I read that script. And it wasn't very good. But that's, it was like, I was like, oh. <laughs> it's like a so little funny, yeah. like, immediately, like, the Quentin brain is like, yeah, yeah, he was not talented. But, I'm glad that he wanted to write a script. It was such a funny build because the whole book is kind of building to this man who made such a difference. And he wrote this script and inspired Quentin to write and Quentin was going to write. And I read his script. Oh, my God. But you see it as Quentin now going, oh, yeah, that script was trash. Uh, You know, and it just it was the funniest rug pull for me because you want it. I mean, it feels like and, you know, he never got to make it, but he was some great stuff in there. You know what I (laughs) mean?
0: So fucking funny, but that okay. is
1: that to me is to your point. The male improvisers that have Quentin Requ- Tarantino like that yes. energy. It's like there's no like humility for this man who was like not in the entertainment business, who just loved movies, who, who
0: played a big role in his life. You actually didn't have to mention if the script was bad. Like yeah. you didn't actually have to say that.
1: Just feel like I loved him, and he gave me this idea. Oh, but but yes. Um. All right. So yeah, that was that is a book that I think if you have a particular taste for male exploitation films in the 70s, it will scratch that itch.
0: Yes. I might go back to it one day, but I was in a place where I was like, you know what? I'm not going
1: to do it. Here's, okay, how, here's how I would recommend you should do it if, if you will be me. open to it. Like, read just the Taxi Driver chapter and then watch if yeah, you like that. Yeah, maybe that's that, what I'll like, It's like, if you find a movie that you would like to watch in it, that's why I think it can be used as a reference point because the the chapters are clean. It's not a mix. It's not a melange. It's like, this is the Dirty Harry chapter. This is the Rolling Thunder chapter. It's it's very, it's, it's they're film essays. Okay, so, that's a better way to yeah. do it. Okay,
0: I'll, I'll, I, you know, I started, started at the beginning and bailed. Okay, so we covered this on the podcast. We won't go too much into it. Yeah. But Matthew Perry, I know we both read it. Oh,
1: <laughs> the un- you know,
0: we uncovered some lies. Yes, yes.
1: I think all these books and going to the Paris and the Pamela and, you know, and the Minka of it all. It's like, you know me as this, and now you're going to know me as this. And I think that Matthew Perry was a beloved guy who obviously has now been not even the butt of jokes. I think it's sad. I don't think he's the butt of jokes. I think it's yeah. just like, and I think he was trying to reclaim some stuff.
0: You know what really gets me about his book is that, especially like being in the industry, like you you know, the other side to some of his stories. Yes. And I heard so many of them, especially like on the Instagram, it's covering the books so of people who, you know, work with him would write new stuff and yeah. worked with him. And, but what I'll say is with the other books that sand down their story, you know, you really, Pam came out beloved. Yes. Sort of, you know, she's been, and like, and she is a beloved person, but the sanding down she did was successful. Yes. Matthew Perry Sanded down some stories like, and wasn't successful in, in getting you to love him. And he's had so much tragedy. He's really suffering. He has a horrible addiction.
1: Self-inflicted wounds. That whole book is self-inflicted wounds.
0: But like, it's like so interesting. Like, oh, you're going to tell us the good version of that story. You're going to skip the parts when you were way worse than what you're admitting. And it's still not going to be effective. That's crazy.
1: Because he feels to me there's two things going on there. And I feel like and I'd love to hear from an editor, he fought that editor tooth and nail. Yes. Um, yes sounds
0: like he said no to everything. Everything.
1: And the one reason why I feel that way is because when you read the book, you will have moments where you're like, didn't I already read this? It's like talking to a drunk person at a bar. It's like all right, we already you already said that. Like it's like it's like yes. you know, it's like, oh you already did that bit. And I also think he was Refused, like the amount of times he told you he was the funniest person in the room. Like he's constantly tro- trying to prove without
0: to you, writing a single joke never. in the book.
1: No, and, and <laughs> any jokes that he wrote are 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 Chandler jokes, you know. And then and then he does the the world's worst joke, which is you kill like the internet's boyfriend, which is Keanu Reeves. Like you make that joke about Keanu Reeves, and it's like. Oh brother, and then like comparing himself to David Mamet and writing like there is just there is an ego that's omnipresent, and I will say with like Minka Kelly and not to just compare them, but all the books I read, you have to drop a little bit of an ego. You have to let yourself. You have to let people in. There's a wall up, and I think the people who Mm -hmm. pull down the wall are the most effective. Now, of course, everyone wants to read that, and he gives you enough stuff that's like so crazy, but at the same time, it's like well. You never were vulnerable here. You're not really vulnerable. No,
0: And even when you tried to get us on your side, you failed.
1: And again, I have not been through rehab, but I feel like his point of view about rehab where he's like, I'm the smartest person in the room. There's no one that you could get that will be able. I know it better. He's he's constantly trying to outsmart. I'm putting a lot out here, but like that's the problem with his uh, recovery. Is I I think he thinks he's smarter than his addiction, and I think that most people who've dealt with people who have had addiction knows that that's that's there's only one way out of that. It's not really no one's going to outsmart addiction. I think you have to give over yeah. to it.
0: That is so that is so well said. So perhaps you can tell from this podcast, but I'm a very. Uh anxious person. I, I operate on a high frequency and going to sleep is hard for me. It's hard to fall asleep. It's hard to stay asleep. And so the other night I got Next Evo in the mail, which is a CBD company, and I ate one of their strawberry flavored CBD gummies that was for sleep. And in the middle of the night, I had one of my normal wake ups and I thought to myself, "Ooh, I'm like, I feel so nice. I'm just going to go right back to bed. And as I was falling asleep, I had the thought of like, wow, I'm, I'm going back to sleep. And in the morning I had forgotten I ate the gummy and I was like, how do, why did I sleep so well? And then I remembered it. So the next night I'm like, OK. I'm going to I'm going to try this again. Let's see if magic sleep happens. And lo and behold, I slept wonderfully. So, I am so excited to talk about Next Evo Naturals because they have developed a clinically tested water-soluble form of CBD, and their gummies and capsules are proven to work faster and absorb 4 times better than oil-based products. I am assuming this is the fancy schmancy science that made this work because I have totally taken oil droplets of CBD before, like during quarantine. Yes, or My husband, he was just we were just dropping CBD into each other's mouths and, you know, it didn't do much. So this is thrilling that I felt this way. I hope you could feel this way, too. They also have their strongest gummy ever. The new extra strength daily wellness CBD gummies. They also have a CBD lotion and, you know, You know, I mean, instantly on my skin. Just anything that can help me relax. I'm so into it. Next Evo is the only brand that has conducted human clinical studies to test the value of their products, and their label contents are 100% guaranteed, so what you see is what you get. Leave oil behind and start the year with more effective and fast-acting CBD from Next Evo Naturals. Get 25% off using code GLAMOROUS at nextevo.com. That's 25% off at nextevo.com, N e x T-E-V-O dot com with promo code Glamorous. When you think of the messiest celebrity feuds of all time, who comes to mind? Is it Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun? Maybe it's Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, or just about anyone from any reality TV franchise. Dis and Tell is a podcast from Wondery, hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balassai. Each hilarious episode will take you through one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds and serve you a little dose of chaos every week. They recently covered the story of one of the greatest feuds you've probably never heard about, Prince and Michael Jackson. Even though this feud never really played out in the press, there's still plenty of drama and a lot to unpack. And the explosive and dramatic fallout between Candy Burris and Phaedra Parks of The Real Housewives of Atlanta, they went from TV besties to sworn mortal enemies and their relationship ended with a criminal allegation that rocked Bravo and its fandom for years to come. So if you're ready to gossip and add some more chaos to your life, follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Disentel early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Okay, real pivot here. Yes, Kevin Pollock's book, How I Slept My Way to the Middle. You were like, I'm reading this. I was like, I don't know, man. So tell me what you think.
1: Okay, I will tell you this. This is a book made for Audible because <laughs> Kevin Pollock is a character actor. He's been in everything or was in everything from the 80s and 90s, from movies with Denzel Washington to Jack Nicholson. And what I love about this is it is the most show show-busy of show like memoirs. If you want fun <laughs> stories where... Kevin Pollack is often the hero of those stories. Uh, and saying the, the wittiest <laughs> line to everyone. Incredible. This is the book to read. It is It's a, Matthew
0: Perry's wet dream.
1: Yes, it is light, 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 light. It's there. It is just like, here's a movie I worked on, and here's four anecdotes from that movie. It's kind is of Is it
0: him just trying to get more jobs? Is it his is it him being like, hey, I'm still a veil? I mean the veil.
1: I just think it's look, he's a comedian, a stand-up who got famous from his William Shatner impressions, right? And I think that, you know, here's a guy who's spent his entire life watching these stars and then got to act alongside of them. In the stand-up comedy boom where mm. everyone was getting their own shows and movies, he got to work with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and Denzel Washington, and, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And he does impressions of them. And the Audible book is, it's a trip. It's It's very, <laughs> I mean, it's a very like, show busy cha cha cha, like you know, it's like um, it feels yeah. like uh, like if you were to sit with him at like the Friars Club, this is what you would get. Nothing deeper than that.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, another pivot. Paul Newman's book, "Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary oh, Man," twenty twenty two.
1: Loved, loved, yeah. loved this book. This book to me, what like truly got me because we're talking about like. Books in which, uh, is it time? Is it time to tell the story, right? Mm. And this book was Paul Newman going, I think I'm a shit. I don't know if I'm a shit. I think I'm a shit. Why don't I hire this guy who's in his family to interview everybody in my life and tell them, say whatever you want about me. I, I want to write, I want a book about me. L- living on the edge. But yeah. I want you to say, I'm a shit. Or I'm not. Yeah. And yeah. and then he also took a very unvarnished approach about himself, like about being a dad, about being married, about wanting a career over a family, about this affair that he had with Joanne Woodward. I know that this has also been made into a HBO uh, miniseries that Ethan Hawke made. I did not watch that. Uh, I think a lot of the same stuff is covered. You know, it's also about a dad who has a son who has a terrible drug problem. and. As much as he tried to save him, he couldn't. And his son died. Um, and it's as raw as raw can be, but there's something really interesting with it. It obviously came out this year or you know last year, and it. they thought they lost it. They found it. They put it all together. And unlike the sanding down, what I found is he pushes himself down a lot. And there are people next to him who are like, no, it wasn't like that. Like, he'll shit on wow. himself for, like, Newman's own. He's like, am I just doing this because I want to be more liked? I don't know. I mean, know. didn't
0: that dressing, like, donate a bunch to oh, charity? Oh, it
1: still is. Like, I mean, what he does in the char- the world of charity, what Paul Newman does and, and the Newman Foundation and the Hole in the Wall gang is epic. And I think he actually set a template for a lot of celebrities to follow. I've never read a book like it in the sense that it is just unvarnished interviews and I think at the end of the day he's not trying to tell you who he is, but you learn who he is, what he was and I think it's one of the most introspective things because there's no there's no conclusion at the end. I think the conclusion at the end of it is but I'm trying here I am hopefully you know I'll I'll be getting better and he he didn't get a chance to finish it before he passed but the the way that wow. he talks throughout it is, I found that book to be masterful. And I have to give it up to, and I'm forgetting the name of the person who put it all together. But wow, like, unbelievable.
0: So I want to take a minute to tell you about a podcast that I love and listen to, and I think you might love it as well. Maybe you already know about it. It is called The Deep Dive with Jessica St. Clair and June Diane Raphael. June has been a guest on our podcast. She did the Tori Spelling episode, which uh one of my favorites. And they do a podcast where they unpack life about surviving adult womanhood. They dig into their real lives. They discuss a wide range of topics like how to pursue joy amidst the insanity of motherhood and family, grief and loss, the shit they put on their faces. They did a whole series on like getting your nails done and why they refuse to check their voicemails or unpack their suitcases. They've had a ton of great guests like Julia Louise Dreyfus who discussed the best snacks to keep in your home, to keep your children around forever. Casey Wilson who gave them a masterclass in the art of small talk which I listened to the episode, I loved. And a writer, comedian, me, Chelsea DeVantes, who they said, enlighten them on how to wield the power of a bold red lip. Yes, thank you, my gift in the world. But also June and I had, uh, at least it was incredible for me, a conversation about uh, like body image and how to deal with it in this wild, wild world. When you listen to The Deep Dive, you're gonna feel like you're catching up with your best friends. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're looking for a podcast, check them out. I wanna take a second to shout out some of our amazing podcast partners who have been gifting some incredible products to me and my guests to create the perfect cocktail and general book vibe to just, you know, curl up with a good or bad memoir and have a real time. Tenteo Tequila, Natalie's Juice, Paquetto Gear, and Yield I love these products. So Tenteo Tequila, you know, it's where I get my favorite alcohol. Natalie's Juice mixes with them to create a great cocktail. My favorite is Blood Orange. Paquetto has so many products. They have these really cute little pins that I make book notes with. They have tiny little spoons that I use in my tea and I'm really obsessed with a tiny spoon. I I don't know why it just changes the whole tea experience. Gear and Yield have beautiful home products and cups to put this all in. I'm obsessed with these brands and their products. Go to my Instagram. You'll see my haul of my favorite products and specific things from these brands. So thank you, podcast partners. And now back to the F.
1: And that actually led me into our next book, as a matter of fact. Um, Really? Okay.
0: So we should, let's talk about it. Um, Monster is what you're talking about.
1: Yes. Monster
0: by John Gregory Dunn, who is Joan Didion's husband.
1: Yes. So he talks about, uh, Joan Didion and John Gregory Dunn, uh, and they were also interviewed for the Paul Newman book. Oh, so
0: that's what, wait, that reading Paul Newman's book is what made you pick up Monster.
1: Yes, yeah. Okay, okay. and Monster was
0: written in 1997, just for everyone's context. Oh, yes,
1: and so there, like, there's, like, you know, an interesting little hangout between these two books, um... To me, the very short pitch on Monster is if you want to understand what it's like to be a writer in Hollywood, read Monster. Like nothing has changed from the 90s to now. Like pay may change, but the world is the same. The
0: world is the same. I would also say world is worse now. Can I add two addendums to your pitch? Please. If you don't want to be a TV writer, don't go anywhere near this book. I can't imagine how this was accessible to anyone. Yes. And the second thing I would say is if you are an executive who has to give notes on anything, you should read this book because the way he deconstructs and often pretty accurately sometimes sets the notes process on fire. I found myself learning a lot. But that being said, this is a dense book.
1: Yes, it's a very dense book. I read this over a long period of time. What's kind of fascinating about it is the the entire book is about one movie. It's about yes. him and Joan Didion getting the offer. Hey, do you want to write the story about Jessica Savage? Which Jessica Savage was this like uh, news reporter who grew to great acclaim and had a tragic ending. Uh, I probably will mess up the details. That's why I'm being a little bit vague about it. And they're like, yes. And then as soon as I get hired, they're like, but here's the thing. We don't want to make it about Jessica Savage. And like, oh. And none of the
0: real grit and trauma. She suffered a lot. Can you actually make it like Pretty Woman? (laughs)
1: Exactly. And then what you get is this like rom-dramedy. I don't think it's a comma, the rom-dramedy about, you know, at the end it's Michelle Pfeiffer and Robert Redford. Um, but it, but it tracks them from the pitch to literally the, the movie getting released. And it's like a 10 year process or eight year process. And they get
0: fired off it multiple times. And it's, and the interesting thing too, is that, you know, it's about the making of this one movie, but then he'll talk about what, you know, after they get fired off it, he tells you about all the other crazy things they did, which is the parts that make you sick as a writer.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because I think what it does is it captures something interesting. I think that sometimes you look at writers and you're like, oh, it's easy to write a movie or it's this or it's that. or. And when you think about it, I'm going back to Don Simpson. Don Simpson's one of the people that they work with in this book as he's getting them to work on their alien, this alien script that they're trying to do. yeah. Um, you know, and they have respect for Don Simpson. Like, they do. Like, they talk... Like, he actually is one of the good ones in that book. Like, he is... Yeah,
0: which is wild. Which,
1: yeah, and... Because uh, I think he was, like, a, a creative, friendly guy. But then you go, wait a second. You're giving notes to Joan Didion. Like, you're giving... And, and Joan Didion is, like, writing, like, um, a Martian book? Like, you know, and then they'll have these, like, moments where it's like, oh, and Joan went to go cover... I went to go cover the OJ trial, and Joan went to go do this execution. Like, they're they're also... Like their careers are going on simultaneously yes. to this. And it's fascinating.
0: It also it kind of made me want to be like, oh, I want to be a journalist as I write movies like yeah. I won't be. But you know, she went and covered the rape in the the Central Park Five rape and like as she's writing this crazy movie, I wanna read something you said.
1: It's like it's just like, oh yeah, and she's off doing that. Like it's You don't like, even
0: hear about it. I-, I wanna read this thing because you were talking about um thinking they can write. Uh, he writes Beating up on screenwriters is a Hollywood blood sport. Everyone in the business thinks he or she can write if only time could be found. And I was like, that is uh, so true.
1: Yes, there are like a, is a universal truth to all these books that we we both read. And it's like, and when you can connect to that and when you can find yourself seeing it, like this to me is an insider insider book. I would not make any bones about it.
0: I'm like, who would publish this? Like this, it feels like it's his own burn book
1: on the industry. I found after I read it, I looked in the back. And I was like, oh, what else does he write? You know, like, I know he did. And he wrote a book in the 70s called The Studio, which I just bought. And it's all about where he got embedded. I just bought that too. Okay, so yeah. Like, I'm like, so he got embedded in the studio system. He got embedded with 20th Century Fox and was allowed to report on everything. It, so like, I'm like, this will be great too, I think. Like, there's something about yeah. like, I think, you know, we sensationalize Hollywood a lot. And it's like, you want to hear all the stories. And I think what's so fun about this is like, He's walking you through and reading you or or showing you notes that they're getting on the script and you feel invested in this script and it's like they're just something so eye-opening. It's like, oh, if Joe Didian can get these notes, if these people are hanging on for 10 years and trying to make ends meet, like I don't know. I, I find it to be inspiring. Because I
0: do too. I mean, they were also fired so much. They, they, yes. would, they would get in a script and they'd be like, uh, we don't like this draft and say that their writing isn't good. And yes. it's like, oh, if their writing can, if, you, if they can get dropped off a project, that's unbelievable. And I, just, I mean, it's not unbelievable, but it's nice to hear.
1: And I think, you know, conversely, you know, just moving away, from, going back to the Quentin thing of it all, what I think is interesting here is, you know, I really feel their partnership comes to life. I think that he speaks of Joan, like he he is the court stenographer of this. Like, he is not the hero of this piece. He is simply reporting on what has gone on. It's a
0: journalistic book of writing, which is interesting. Writing on writing.
1: And I think so. I, I, I also felt like it, it got me to start reading Joan Didion, too, because I was like, oh, I haven't read Joan Didion in a, in a long time. I'd like to read some of her stuff. And her stuff is so be- I mean, unbelievable. She's really
0: the star writer between the two of them. Yeah. You know I mean? The most famous writer of that marriage is her. And, like, we love to see it when it happens to a woman and it doesn't end with the man being like, and then I divorced her because yeah. it hurt my fifis No, <laughs> like- yeah.
1: And I feel like what you get from them, if anything, was, like, this universal partnership. It's like what you do, I do. And I do, you do. And we are going to make time for each other. Like if you want to go cover the Central Park five, like I got this. Or like when he was doing a press tour for his book, she went out to LA alone and took the notes. And, you know, there's this like, I I really loved it. And there's this part we were texting about the other day, which I, I think is worthy of talking about. There's a moment where they talk about we were hired so many times to do punch-up on shitty movies. And they had this little cabal. And one of the people in the cabal was Elaine May, and from Nichols and May, like a legendary, amazing comedian, uh Elaine May. And it's like and they joked around like they would form this agency that you could send your script to, and you never know who was going to be punching it up, but you just knew it was going to be, like, one of these five, and they wouldn't take any notes. And it was like, this is, like, their idea yeah. of, like, this little cabal. I thought, and,
0: like, for us to even read it, you send us this much money. Right. Yeah, for, I was like, this is genius. It made me want to start it myself. I know, um, right? Because it was kind of, yes. like, this
1: amazing thing. And I guess I look up to everybody here for different reasons. I was like, oh, wow, like— they're all struggling, too. Like everyone is yes, struggling. Too. Yes,
0: everyone is struggling. And I okay, so I want to read two things. Um, so one is a cookie crossover to Gina Davis's book. Oh, which you also read, I also right?
1: read and I love I love. <laughs> like to me, like Gina Davis might be from like beginning, middle to end, my favorite of recent memory because I feel like it's a very wow. compact book and that has like, yes, a point of view, it's clean. it's clear. I'm like, I'm on board with this thing.
0: Uh, You know, and we haven't, we've recorded our episode a long time ago, and actually it should be coming out soon, Uh, but... I loved her book for the exact same reason. Like, fantastic read, especially if you're, like, going on a trip or on a yes. plane. I loved it. That being said, for the same reason you loved it is the reason it's not going to be one of my favorites. Because I need mess. Uh, mess, 100. mess, mess. Yes.
1: And and like, and like that book is not messy at all. Like, the at me- all. The messiest parts are the Rennie Harlan parts, which are— And she doesn't
0: even share. And we talked about yes. it in the episode. She marries this director, Rennie Harlan, and she's like, you know, the way it ended— was one of the worst things that could ever happen to a person. I'm not going to say it here. I'm like, why? It was in the press. It's printed. I
1: dropped the book immediately and it was like, Google, 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 Google. Go. Like, I'm like, Google, oh, go, Google, yeah.
0: Google, Google. And we'll recap it here, which is that she's married to this huge director who is, of course, always jealous of like, ha- like, jealous of things like, where did you get that t shirt? Right. It's like, oh, an X gave it to me, burn it. Uh, right. So they're together. They have this big life together. Um, he directs her in Long Kiss Goodnight. And The way, the thing that happens is that she has a personal assistant and she finds out that he has been cheating on her and having an affair with the personal assistant when she announces that she is pregnant. Yes. And I don't, but that's where I'm like, Gina, write it in the book. Like there's nothing to salvage here. We know.
1: Yes. And yeah, I know. And it's like, I'm going to give you a lot of fun stories. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff, but I'm like, it is like, that's her way of, I'm telling you everything. I'm just not going to go there.
0: But my my biggest gripe with the book, and damn, now we got to release that episode. My biggest gripe with the book is that one, I love that we don't know her for this, but Gina Davis has been married, engaged like five times. Oh, okay? I know.
1: That was Yeah, and I was like,
0: ooh, this is not a headline about her, which I love for her. Yeah. It's like a secret. That being said, to be as incredible as she is, to have five of these uh, marriages, engagements, where sometimes she was the cheater, yep. sometimes she was cheated on, and to never say a word about a single one of them, I feel like- I could learn so much about relationships from her or learn anything. Not like I'm learning from her, but you know what I mean? you wanna like yes. tell me your life experience. How did this happen to you? We get nothing.
1: Well, and I feel like Minka Kelly does this as well, which is like, not that I need to know whoever she kissed, like, but like when you look at like because I did Google after I finished reading it, like who she dated, and it's like her. Yeah, list they're is, not in the book. Yeah, they're not in the book. And it's like Sean Penn, John Mayer, Wilmore Valderrama, Topher Grace, like all these different guys. Um, not that I need to have dirt, but it like even when she talks Acknowledgement. about... Acknowledgement. Yes. When she talks about Taylor Kitsch, it's like, well, I was also a problem. And she just says, well, I'm a, also a problem. And I feel like Gina Davis took that route to be like, I'm not going to talk about their really. I'm not going to talk about that. But it's like, well, emotionally, though, you can talk about how that made you feel.
0: Yeah. Also, at least with Gina, she would be like, you know, when me and... um Oh, the great love for life. Oh, uh, um, uh, Parker
1: Stevens or no, no. Uh, no, no.
0: Um, oh, Jeff Goldblum. Oh my God. Jeff Goldblum. When me and Jeff Goldblum met, it was love at first sight. We moved in right away. At the time, I was engaged to uh, the actor who, yes. you know, later goes on to be in in um
1: oh, he's a, oh, in
0: Thelma and Louise. Yes, yes. And so so at least she tells you that it happens. She tells you what's up. Then she moves on. Minka, you know, I rem- I was like texting with a friend and she was like, remember when Jesse Williams divorced his wife of 11 years who was a teacher and the next woman he was with was minka kelly and it was sort of like in the press right that he had left his wife for minka kelly i'm not i don't think that was actually true but like that happened and like i'm sure that i know from like like Minka responded to an Instagram comment once of a, of a fan being like, did you cheat? That'd be so disappointing. And she's like, no, I didn't Sorry to disappoint you. Like go fuck yourself. And I'm like, put that in the book. Write about that.
1: It's an interesting thing. Like to eliminate large portions of your life that we, the public already know. Why wouldn't Why you talk you? about it? Do your side, yeah. do your version. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, the crossover with this book is that they talk about, uh, Harlan uh, Finn, he says Finn, Mm -hmm. which I guess is like, I don't know. Is that short for finish as we, everyone uses that? I I don't don't know. know. Okay. I didn't think so. Harlan, a Finn with lank blonde hair, now married to Gina Davis had been distracted through both weekend meetings because of logistical and production problems on the enormously expensive Die Hard 2. At the end of the Sunday meeting, I asked him how he envisioned our rewrite of Gale Force, which is a script they're working on. Quote, First act, better whammies, he said. Second act, whammies mount up. Third act, all whammies.
1: (laughs) I love that you you brought this up. You did not deserve Gina. No, 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 no. I mean, and by the way, whammies. Whammies are like, that is the perfect filmmaking style for like that era and what he was making it was just like whammies to whammies wall to wall long
0: kiss good night is that is exactly it like that movie starts itself and ends itself like five times oh, yeah. so it's like i guess he just kept adding whammies yeah
1: just as long like i mean there is this idea that every 10 pages in your script you got to keep on upping the stakes and turning the corner like and that was like that don simpson model and i would put Rennie harlan that world too where it's like they were just like, who cares? Every every just ten keep pages, going. D- like, and now the water towers, Plenty. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you're and the plot is so small that you're like, oh, I guess I'm uh, okay. Like, like yeah. you know, it's like, I, like you just like it's like that movie Predator. It's like, sure, it's like, and then this happens. Great, you're like, you're just, yeah.
0: You're- <laughs> I remember, like, in the middle of Long Kiss Goodnight, like, literally, you're maybe seventy minutes in, and you see this scene of her daughter like lighting a candle or something. Yeah. You're like, huh, why is that there? And then 10 minutes later, they pay it off. It's like how she escapes the yes, bomb chamber. Yes. And I'm like, a 10 minute later payoff?
1: No, it's a, it was a weird time. People were making weird stuff. The 90s in Hollywood, they were bouncing around, like trying to work on Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer or, or another movie with Michelle Pfeiffer and trying to get people in and having conversations with There's Robert Redford. There's only 10
0: stars at all times. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's fascinating.
0: There's two other things I want to read. And then I want to ask you a couple questions yes. and then I'll let you go. Okay. The note, one of the note things that I thought was incredible is he said, they write this letter to Disney and they say, we're only going to continue this process on this script with you. If this, and there's three points to it. Here's the first point. There must be further element and so the possibility of doing a positive rewrite, one based on a vision of what the picture will be rather than a negative rewrite, one based on uncertain doubts about the existing script. <laughs> I was like, that is genius. Yes. And then the other thing I wanted to say is, um, and I hated this and listen, this speaks to, I guess, my age. I'm not sure if you knew this, Paul, like, they said the daughter of screenwriters Nora Ephron understands the business of Hollywood as well as anyone I know. I said Nora Ephron's a nepo baby. I
1: didn't uh, want to know. I know, and I saw that. But you know what? It's a. It, but again, to the point that we were saying, it's like nothing changes. Like nothing changes.
0: Yeah, and it, you. But you know what? It really it gave me this thought. I don't know if this is a, a, a an obvious thought or not, but. I realized like, oh, of course, Nora Ephron got to excel because you need so much to excel in this business. You do, you need so much to even exist here. And she was brought here and she's just one of the most incredible writers. I was like, oh, every time you see a Nepo baby, what we're really mad at is the system. And because you can't get mad at the system, we get mad at the human. But if the human is talented enough like Nora Ephron or uh, Carrie Fisher, we don't punish them. And if they're not, Hailey Bieber, we're like, end it.
1: But you know what I also think, too? It's like, and maybe this is a, a bigger conversation, but it's like Twitter and stuff like that. There's a there's an energy on Twitter where it's like disposable to kind of like rail and then we're like, oh yeah, that is a problem. Like, and I feel like if Nora Ephron came up during that or like, I agree with you. Like if talent will weigh out, but at the same time, sometimes I just think that like, if you just get on the wrong side of the stick on one day, like people are just like, that's it. And it's like, and it seems Absolutely. enough that like, like the Nepo baby is such a um a funny term that then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, who else is a Nepo? And it's like, oh, then, oh, I, yeah. and then it just all starts to fall apart.
0: Absolutely. And they unveil what has always been happening in this town. Yes. OK, Paul, last two questions. Yes. So I wanted to ask you up top, what did you feel you had in common with Pam, Minka and Paris?
1: I think what I've realized is I am obviously someone who has experienced uh, different levels of trauma throughout my childhood. And there are certain things that they describe there in their books about how, as an adult, those ripples come out. And and, and whether or not that is, I think, like, cleaning is a big thing. Like, uh, you know, uh, not maybe with Pam as much as it is with Minka and Paris, but I feel like there's this idea of, like, oh, I want to have order. And I want to, like, there mm. are certain things that I identify with as personality traits of people that have been through something and looking for that control now i've recently been able to name that for myself and that's why i do think in this grand scheme of things these books are important and i think that like a book like minka kelly's is important even though it's a little bit probably more raw because i think it can help people see something she said the thing that i thought was so beautiful minka kelly talked about like this idea of when she does her ketamine treatments Uh, which is also a a wild moment uh, (laughs) about like kind of going back and being this like child and seeing herself there and, and and dealing with that. And there's something about the way she talks about um, like letting her younger self always be the reactor. And I read this great book where we talk, they talk a lot about like you as the adult, you the person who you actually are now has to really stand in front of of the person that you were and protect that person. Like, I'm bastardizing the idea, but the idea being like, the traumatized person in us stands at the front, always like, I got this. I know how to handle this. And our job as an adult is to say, you can now stand behind me. I Mm. am going to protect you because I'm an adult and I have learned and you are still a child and you have, and I know it's like, this a weird idea of, you are both, but like, are we reacting with our adult brain or our child brain? And I think Mika Kelly really spoke about that in a really interesting way. And if that like clicks in you, like then go and good, then find something else that might help, you know, talk about that. It's a, it's, it's very real. It's a very important and I think all relationships like that yeah. kind of stuff. And that's
0: really, that's really resonant. Yeah. I, I love the way you just said that, Um, which, which just leads me to my last thing, which is really just a personal question. One of the, I love, love, love talking to you, but also we've been kind of working on these memoirs, but also read memoirs. We also talk about memoirs. Um, Have you come up against a part in your book about something that you like, are going to write about, but there's parts within it that are maybe like humiliating or embarrassing. or like, you do want to sand it down. You do want to sand the edges down. Like you don't, it's like so hard to go there and have you made a choice like, well, okay, that's just not something to put in the book then, or you know what, maybe I will sand it down. Or are you like, it's all or nothing. And if I'm doing a book,
1: I believe it's all or nothing if I'm doing a book, but there also are things that I protect for myself. Like, and there are certain things that I do and I have no judgment on anyone else. But like, for example, I don't post pictures of my kids on Instagram. Not yeah. my, it's not my job to like, I, I'll, i you want to see pictures of my kids? I'll send you pictures of my kids until like, you're, you know, blue in the face. Like I have no problem sharing my kids with my friends. I don't put my kids out there for the world to see, uh, so there are certain things. There are certain things about my relationship with June. And I love June. Like, June is my, my soulmate, my partner, everything. She's my everything. But I don't need to reveal certain things about... I don't have, need to go deeper than that because that's also my private thing with my yeah. wife, right? It's not like I'm not hiding away from it. It's like, but I do make decisions on what I want to share and what I don't want to share. Like, what part of me do I want to be opened up? And and that part of me doesn't feel like it needs to be opened up. Because I think that part of me is a healthy part. Like I can talk about yeah. it and I can speak about it in, in a more general way. And I will get into those things. But that, to me, like, I just wrote a chapter about being a dad. And I had a really hard time. It was one of my assignments for my editor. Like, how to get into that. And, and, and what I wrestled with was, like, what do I want to tell here? Like, what is the story I want to tell? And it starts off with me going... You know, oh, I want to tell a story about where I paced around my room for two hours because I was getting into it with this soccer coach who I thought was demented, and I start writing that and being like a dad, and like, how am I writing back? and i'm like well that's that's a funny story, but that's not really what I'm writing about. like am I to write about th- what am I really wanting to write about what am I And then I found like something, and then oftentimes what I find is a thematic clicking point to the book, and I'm like, oh that's what i was that's what i was supposed to be writing about and anyway like yeah so i mean that's that's what i'm trying to do i don't find myself holding anything back the only thing that i hold back uh like i said earlier was there was a chapter i wrote about my parents where i spoke about them in a way that i might speak to you or june about them like you know and i went back and i was like no I don't want to put that in there. Mm -hmm. That's not my, that's not my, I'm not here to diagnose my parents. That's not my story. that's,
0: it's kind of like the whole, I think the, one of the whole conceits of memoir, which is why I'm so obsessed with these books too, is that the characters uh, are real Yeah, and they're often alive Yes, and the book will take a role in shaping that relationship. So the book is not, it's, it's a, it's a very meta thing of like, whatever you put in the book then comes back into the relationship. And so, it's just, yeah, it's really fascinating. And
1: I and I think, like, you know, my, my whole point of view on it is, like, I I say it with love. I love my parents. I also have had some crazy shit happen. And, but that's okay. Like, I think that, that maybe two things can be true. I think that, like, and I think for Absolutely. most people it is. And um, it's, like, it's, a, again, not to go back to Minka's book, but that thing that the therapist told her, tell your mom how bad of a mom she is while Ugh. she's dying of cancer in your house. And it's, like, that was the worst. Things that she could have possibly done. And that's what I feel like these books shouldn't be a burn book. The, the, the monster should be because it does yeah. it's not personal, but it's like, you do have to be like, as much as you're trying to put out your new you, you should also, cause I think what I think about is I can go and have a conversation with my dad and my dad may say, I don't want you to put that in the book or I don't want that. I don't like that, but I don't care about that as much. I can go toe to toe with my dad or my mom. I care about my dad's friend. Or my mom's friend Mm -hmm. reading it. I don't want them to feel like I've revealed them in a way because what's my story is my story. Yeah. You know, and, but I want to also protect them from any improper labeling. That's really what. And
0: you don't want to tell a story that's not yours. You can always tell your story. You don't need to go outside the bounds and tell someone else's.
1: Exactly. And that's what I think, going back to Paul Newman, is so fascinating because it's his story. Told through his and other people's eyes, it's like a Rashomon in a way. And sometimes uh, they I, line I'm up and they, they they go out.
0: Definitely yeah. reading that book now, Paul. Yes. Thank you so much for being our official memoir correspondent. I am correspondent. so excited. And I'm going to bring you back. Please do. Please tell every. I mean, listen. Everyone already knows you and follows you, but just plug your podcast. Yes,
1: you can listen to Unspooled with me and Amy Nicholson uh, every week. We talk about just great movies, and then I also have a podcast called How Did This Get Made with uh, my wife June and Jason Manzucas, who uh, we talk about bad movies every time, uh, and it's super fun. And I'll tell you, can I give you one recommendation of something that I don't know where it falls, but I love uh, the comedian and writer Richard Ayoade. And he's a British uh, comedian. He was on the IT crowd. He was basically in every great British comedy show. He's a director as well. Wrote a movie called Submarine. He writes books and his books are fantastic. And he writes in this character and he wrote a book, a full book on the Gwyneth Paltrow movie, A View from the Top. And the entire (laughs) book. is only about a view from the top. This Harvey Weinstein uh, Miramax movie about Gwyneth Paltrow as a, f- uh, a flight attendant. Um, and it is one of the funniest books I've read. And I know it's not exactly the same thing, but it is It is so funny. And it's called Iowa on Top. And it's just Okay, I
0: can't wait to
1: read this. A, it, it's under the guise of being like a critical analysis because he approaches it like Quentin Tarantino talking about these seminal films. And it's not like this movie sucks. It's like this is the greatest piece of art ever. But the underlying point of view is it sucks. And it does. Uh, That's amazing. But it's, it is, as someone said, it's genuinely bizarre. This book is a 200-page book on a 90-minute movie.
0: That's unbelievable. I always need good book recs. So thank you. And thank you so much for being here. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Glamorous Trash Talk. If you liked this episode and this format, please let me know. If you didn't, don't let me know. I will read in between the lines. Become a member of our Patreon if you like this podcast and want more and more episodes like we've been doing. You go to Patreon.com/slash Chelsea Devantes. It literally takes two minutes to sign up. We send you an email where you add the link to your normal podcast feed, and then all the bonus episodes just pop up. Uh, you can also find it linked in our show notes, and it is how we make this podcast possible. Also, if this made you want to start a conversation, if you had a thought about one of these books or something you want us to cover, you can start that conversation in the comments on Patreon where we have a lot of cookies talking. In my Instagram, I always make a post about the episode. You can talk in the comments, a bunch of cookies there. And we have a Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Kate Downey and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. And you know, I will be on the gram. So I will see you there.